There it is. All right. Now we're good. All right. So, yeah, as you know, this was the 4th of July um, weekend. We had it Thursday. I said, I hope everyone enjoyed. Did anybody barbecue and cook anything and do all that stuff? I hope you enjoyed the time. Um, it kind of hit for a long weekend. And so it's always been one of my favorite kind of national holidays just because the fireworks and explosions. I don't know. I like exploding things and seeing things explode. Um, I'm a guy, and I was in the Army. That's what I got to do. So I, I really enjoy it. Um, but, man, I am so thankful that we live in a place in, in a country where we can do this where we can come together openly and without um, any fear of anybody rushing through a door that we can gather we can worship um, man I, I believe in freedom I, I think I think freedom has always been part of God's plan for us and so it's been it's awesome to be part of a civilization a culture and a country where freedom has been the basis of where it started, really. If you look at our history, um, and I'm a big history buff, but if you look at our history and you see that, I mean, it was all built upon the basis of freedom. Um, when, when the pilgrims came over, it was for freedom from religion, freedom from religious persecution and stuff. And so that's always been a foundation. I believe in it so much that I served to protect that freedom. Um, if they called me and said, hey, we need you back, I'm like, well, I can't march as well as I used to. But I would go because I think it's a big deal that freedom is a big deal. And I think God has a great plan and has always had a plan for us to live in freedom like that. Now, the problem is, is that freedom doesn't always lead to good things. You know, if, if you look in a culture in the name of freedom, so many things have happened in our culture. In the last 50 years, it's been an entire shift. Um, freedom of speech, freedom of freedom of belief, freedom of whatever you want. In the name of freedom, we have done some horrible, horrible things in our culture and in our country. And it makes me sad. It makes me sad because this used to be a place where we could disagree and it would be okay. And we have become such a divided nation. We've become such a divided place where um, all in the name of freedom that it, it breaks my heart. And we are about to go into one of the w times that I hate more than anything is uh, election time. Because it's just gotten ugly. It's just gotten nasty. And there are two very polarizing views and stuff. And so this morning, I want to talk about freedom. But I want to talk about real freedom. See, because I don't believe a political system or a government is what gives us freedom. I believe it is God that gives us freedom. Amen. That I think there are two choices in our life. Either we do things God's way. And it leads to freedom, or we do it our way, and it always leads to bondage and stuff. And I believe a lot that our culture, our community, our country, our world is in bondage. And I think there's a way that we can proclaim freedom throughout the nation and, it, and throughout the world. And I think we are called to that, and we can get back to what it means actually to be free. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have them, we should have them spread out. You can grab one. Um, if you don't have one, put your name in it. Take it home with you. It's yours. It's a gift. If you would rather use electronic devices, um, we got our Wi-Fi all fixed up. So it'll say GBC Guest. Just type in Find More in all lower caps, and you can join along there. Um, but as I said in the very, very beginning of church, there's one thing that we believe more than anything else is that these words are the only words that matter. It, it really is. And I, I'll never get tired of saying that, and I'll never stop saying that. This is the only authority 
that I have, that any of us have, to come together and meet. And so out of respect and acknowledgement of that authority, I'm just going to ask if you'll stand for me as we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 1. It says, first of all, Paul writes, First of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time, For this I was appointed a herald, an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. Will you pray with me? God, I just thank you this morning, again, for the opportunity to gather. God, you you don't need me to do this. God, you don't need us to even come together, but God, you just invite us. God, you invite us to know you. God, to come into your presence, to be changed by you. And that's what I pray this morning. God, that first of all, these would be your words, not mine. And that, God, we would leave different because we are in your presence. God, that you would just do a work in us, Father. You know every need. You know every heart here this morning. You know everyone that's going to be here. So, Father, you know what needs to be said. You know what needs to be done, Father. Let us not leave here with any unfinished business. God, I pray for ears to hear, for hearts to respond, and the courage to actually live it out, God. So, Father, will you just take this, hide me, get me out of the way of what you want to do, God, and just take this morning, take these words, this entire service, God, and may it be all for your glory, not mine, not anybody else's, your glory alone. God, we trust you, and we're excited to see what you're going to do in our lives this day. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I just I, I want to reiterate this very very clearly. I believe freedom is a huge deal. Like I said, I served seven and a half years and stuff in the military. I would go back and, and do it again and stuff. I would fight for anybody's freedom. I actually had somebody. We I was in Desert Shield, Desert Storm years ago, and stuff. I actually had somebody that came up to me and says, "Oh, you went over there to fight for oil and all this stuff. Great job." I'm like, "Well, first of all, my gas prices haven't changed. <laughs> Second of all, you've never never met a Kuwaiti person." You know, I was reminded we were in we were in Iraq. We were there, and I met a father, a Kuwaiti father, who had his son in a coffin. And all he wanted to do was go bury him, but he couldn't go back in there because someone was keeping them from being their freedom and everything. And so, you know what? I would gladly give my life for freedom again. I would gladly serve. It is that big of a deal. But understand this: true freedom does not come from any political, any government, or anything else. It only comes from God. True freedom only comes from God. We only find our freedom in Christ. In in, in fact, that's why Jesus came. Paul writes in Galatians 5.1 for, for, I'm getting fast. There we go. For freedom, Christ set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. There's no reason to go back. If you have made a decision this morning, at some point in your life, you said, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple. Not just a Christian, but a disciple. I'm going to be a follower of Christ. I'm giving my life. I acknowledge my need for him. That's what I love about church. It's what I love about this planet, that all of us have the same thing in common. We all need a Savior. 
There's not anybody on this planet that does not need a Savior. We all need a Savior. That's why everyone is welcome. That's why everyone is invited. That's why it doesn't matter your background, your culture, your economic class, any of that stuff, because we all need a Savior. That's our common ground. My Bible professor used to always say the foot of the cross is level ground. Nobody stands higher than the other person. And just because I'm standing up on a platform right now doesn't mean I'm any better than you. I need a Savior too. And so if we have done that, if we have acknowledged that, then, man, we are free. Why would we go back to bondage? That's why Christ came. So don't, again, go back to that yoke of slavery. Don't get tied back in because it's through the power of the Holy Spirit and, and all these things that we have the freedom and the ability to overcome. No matter what it is. You and I may struggle with things our entire lives, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit and Christ dwelling in us, we can overcome. We can choose not to give in to those sinful desires. We can choose not to just fall into that trap. We can say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we can stand in freedom this morning and we can live in freedom every single day. And it annoys the snot out of me when I see so many Christians that are so much in bondage where we have legalized everything. And it's all about what you wear or what you sing or where you sit or what church you go to, all that. None of that has anything to do. It all has to do with Jesus. The church you belong to, whether you're a member or not a member, it doesn't matter because that's not what brings you freedom. It is Jesus. And so please, if you don't hear anything else that I say this morning, understand that the only place we find freedom is in Jesus. We do things our way, it always leads to bondage. We do things God's way, it always leads to freedom. So knowing that, how do we restore freedom? Looking at our culture again, looking at what's going on in our world and stuff. And I know there's a lot of people that's like, it's just not like the good old days. Can I tell you something? The good old days weren't always all that good. (laughs) I sit and talk to people like, oh, it's never been this bad. I'm like, yes, it has. (laughs) It's always been this bad. There's always, wherever sin resides, it's bad. Even when our founding fathers put all this stuff together, they were not perfect people. They did a lot of mistakes. They did a lot of things. I'm annoyed at people says, let's just erase all that and just forget all that, because I think we need to remember the mistakes of our past and how by the grace of God that he placed people in leadership and we overcame those. And so I'm not one forever like tearing down monuments, tearing all that stuff down. Let's just forget it, because I think we need to remember what God has saved us from. Always. In our lives and in the history of this country and in the history of this world. But how do we restore that in a culture that's just gone saying like, well, for freedom's sake, I can do whatever I want. I can say whatever I want. By the way, freedom of speech does not mean that you have freedom to be heard. <laughs> We've confused that. Just because I have freedom of speech doesn't mean I have to listen to you or you have to listen to me. I love that. I, I have I have millennial children and I love them and everything. They're like, but this is my opinion. I'm like, congratulations. I don't agree. <laughs> but it's my opinion. Congratulations. I don't agree. But stop being a snowflake. <laughs> it, it's true. We we have freedom, but so how do we restore freedom? Not the good old days, but the days that it was always supposed to be. Because you know that was God's original plan. You know that. God made us to be perfect. God made us to be free. God made us to live forever. God made all that stuff, and we blew it. And let me, with the political season that's coming, 
Listen, I will never do a political message from here. I will never tell you who to vote for. What I will do is I say, you vote your conscience, you vote what, what Scripture says, and that's what you do. Because in fact, the matter is that everybody running all has issues. <laughs> but if you don't vote, dear Lord, don't complain to me. Because I think it is your biblical responsibility to be actively involved. I think it is the church's response to be actively involved in politics and all this stuff. Not for a fact like we're going to choose this candidate, but I think it's us to say we are called to support. <coughs> We've been placed here. We have responsibilities of citizenship that we should follow. And so I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. You can pull me aside and like, well, who do you think? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you my opinions. But from this platform, I'll tell you like you pray about it. You know what you believe. You look at the Bible and then you vote according to that. But vote. But in the midst of all this and stuff, it's not going to be changing a political party and saying that's going to bring freedom to our country and freedom to people. It's not going to be doing rallies or picketing that's going to bring freedom. The very first thing we need to do, I think Paul says it very clearly in that passage, in this passage in, uh, in, in 2 Timothy, is the very first thing is we need to pray unceasingly. <coughs> we need to start becoming a people that pray. We really do. Look, in verse, verse 1 and 2, Right at the beginning, Paul starts this whole thing. He says, first of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. He says the very first thing, he says, we have to pray. What's unfortunate in our culture, what's unfortunate is what has happened is we see people huddled all together. In fact, there's a story of a school teacher that came in her class and she saw a bunch of boys all huddled together and kneeling down. She's like, what are you doing? She's like, we're gambling. <laughs> like, good, I thought you were going to pray. <laughs> we see people huddled together all the time in our culture. People that we do it all that we huddle to do something. We huddle to attend something. We huddle to watch something. But rarely do we huddle to pray and go to church. Man, we've got to be a people that pray. Because if you think about it, only those that are in a relationship with God, only those that are in a right relationship with God, those are the prayers that are heard. If there's something wrong, if there's sin that's in our lives, if there's something that we have not um, done, there's something that we have not confessed, there's not something that we have taken God to redeem, there's a blockage in the communication there. And so we have to be a people that pray unceasingly. Listen, I'm going to tell you, it's not new programs that's going to change the world. Some church, it's not some new youth program, it's new speaker or a new building and all that stuff that's going to change our community. It is prayer that's going to change our community. In fact, I love it. Ian Bounds, the great, great theologian. Did it do it? No, it didn't do it. Let me put that up there. Listen to this. Oh, I think I jumped ahead. I'm not. There we go. I got to get used to this thing again. It says, what the church needs today is not machinery or better. Not new organizations or more and novel methods, but men and women whom the Holy Spirit can use. Men and women mighty in prayer. The Holy Spirit does not throw, flow through methods, but through men and women of prayer. It's not some new program that we're talking about. It's something that we have always been called to do, that we have to be a people of prayer. Do you understand that prayer is our most powerful tool? Our enemy 
is more afraid of a church that prays than a church that has all these great programs and all this, a great band and a great pastor and a great speaker and all this stuff. He is more afraid of us if we just start praying. It's a big deal. Did you know it's mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament to pray, be people of prayer, be praying. Whatever form you want to look at, over a hundred times in the New Testament does it tell us to pray, to pray, to pray. In fact, that's what Paul talks about in Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, 17 and 18, he says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercessions for all the saints. We pray for everybody. We pray for people we don't like. We pray for people we don't agree with. It doesn't matter who's in office. That we pray for them. If they're in leadership, they're only there because God has allowed them to be there. We pray for them. And we don't pray like, God, you just need to change their heart and save them. We say, God, would you just move in their lives and your will be done. See, so often we pray for people to become what we want them to become and not what God wants to become. Stay out of God's business. You ain't saving nobody. Pray for salvation. Pray for leadership. Pray for wisdom. Pray for all those things. But pray. It is our most effective tool. And when we really pray, man, when we're doing this, it is a powerful tool it is a powerful tool that's what james said james says therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed the prayer of a righteous person is very very powerful in its effect do you understand that prayer has no limits to it you can pray for somebody today and it could be a hundred years from now and something happens you can pray for someone here and it could be in china that it happens it does, there are no limits to the power of prayer why don't we use it why don't we use it we have to be a people that pray unceasingly. We need to be a people that pray. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just I'm going to pray about it. I mean, there's so many good, dear old saints, you know, like, well, I'm just going to pray for it. <laughs> I'm like, that's awesome. All talk, no walk leads to nothing. <laughs> I know a lot of people. I know a lot of people. I've been in a lot of different churches. All talk, no walk. See, because we're not only called to pray for people, but we're also called to live righteously. We are called to live a life that makes a difference. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart from that. In fact, look at verse 2 again. It says, we pray for kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and and dignity we are called to live a godly life we're called to set an example for everyone you know how many times i've heard when i've been talking to people and talking about like christ and and, and the relationship with god and what that life looks like to be a disciple and everything it's like yeah but i see so many people that say they're followers of jesus but they don't look anything like them Sure, they can sing some songs. Sure, they go to church. Man, they may be very generous, but I don't see anything outside on a Sunday. You can't live for Jesus on Sunday and then live for the world the rest of the week. It doesn't work that way. 
We are called to be godly. We're called to be holy. And all that means is to be set apart, that there should be a difference between the way we live our lives. If Jesus is in your heart, if you've made that decision, if you're a disciple, the goal is that we become more like him. That we look more and more like him. And so there should be a difference in the way we do our jobs. There should be a difference in the way we interact with people. There should be a difference in the way we do our finances. It should affect every little thing in our life. There should be a difference. And it's not only in the public areas, but it's in the private areas too. That's integrity. That's a word we don't really talk about anymore. Doing what is right even when nobody's looking. I I tell you, I grew up in church. I was born, boom, I was in the nursery. It may have been the same day. I don't know. I went to every VBS and everything. How many of you remember flannel graphs? I grew up on flannel graphs where the big Jesus became smaller as he ascended and everything. That was, man, we didn't have this stuff. This is awesome. PowerPoint? No, it was someone with a slide on an overhead projector that accidentally put it on wrong, and it's all of a sudden like, oh, wait a minute, turn it over. Oh, restoring freedom. You know? That's what I grew up in. But, man, I could play church. I was good. I was a good little Baptist boy. I knew exactly what to wear. I knew exactly what to say. I knew when to stand. I knew when to sit. I knew at certain times, like, oh, if I go forward, they're all going to see me and everything, and I can pray at the altar. I knew exactly what it was like to play church. It wasn't until I was 19 years old that I decided, like, wow, playtime's over. It's time to be a disciple. It, it should look different. Because through this week, I was a punk. I was sarcastic. I was mouthy. I was disrespectful. Well, I just got done a couple of weeks ago. You guys allowed me to go to Nebraska. And I told 155th and 6th graders, I said, I am so sick and tired of students saying I'm a Christian and not looking like them and being the ones that mouth off in class or the ones that don't show up on time and don't do all that. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then follow Jesus. I'm not asking you to be perfect, but then follow Jesus. Start looking like Jesus because the world needs to see what he really looks like. And he's not see- they're not seeing it in our churches anymore. Because we've gotten comfortable. We are called to live a holy life. In fact, that's, that's what First Peter, he says, conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, among those that don't know, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Live in such a way that people look at you and they may slander you like, oh, you're a fool. That's a stupid belief system. You're an idiot. You're weak and all that stuff. But they see your life. Live it in such a way that when God does show up in life and something happens, they're like, wait a minute. There's something about this. There's something about this. We have to live righteously. And it. every day it's more and more getting about going against the current. I know it feels like that. I know it is because our culture, the farther we turn away from God, the stronger the current is. And we are called to go upstream. We're called to be salmon. <laughs> you ever watch those videos? Those, those dudes, are, like they're dying. I mean, just to jump up in the air to get caught by a bear, that's horrible. <laughs> That's what we're called to do. We are called to go against stream, and it's not going to be popular. Listen, there are certain cultural norms that if we dare say, I don't agree with that, you are a bigot, 
you're closed-minded. You can lose your job. You can do all kinds of stuff. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to do it. It's not always going to be popular. When I got hired at Universal, I said the one thing I did, I applied to Disney and Universal. And the one thing I said is I cannot work on Sundays. I cannot do it. I'm a pastor of church. I cannot do it. And stuff. Universal said, okay. Now, do you think for an instance that they watched me as I worked and saw if my life matched up to that? Because if you don't, I have managers that came up to me and said, well, you take this seriously. This is not just you being off on Sunday. You live like this while you're here. People are going to watch, and it's not always going to be. It's not always going to be comfortable. It's not always going to be easy. And it has to be every aspect of your life. Man, you cannot. I just, I don't. We have become a culture of compartmentalizing. We are so good at that, aren't we? Here's my church life. Here's my family life. Here's my work life. Here's my college football life. (laughs) Here's this life. And we make all these little boxes in our lives, and we say, here's that, here's that, here's that. And Jesus, here's your little box. And you stay in that one. Can I give you a hint? Anytime you try to box Jesus or God, he kind of kicks the lid off and says, no, nah, that ain't going to work. <laughs> it's got to be every part of our life. We have to look at our life and say, every aspect of my life needs to bring God glory. Because isn't that the question about living righteously? About living a holy life? It's asking ourselves, who's going to get the glory from what I do today? Is it me or is it God? we got to ask that every day. I have to ask it every day. God, no matter what happens, many things that happen today be in such a way that you're the only one that can get glory. That's what living a holy life, that's what living a godly life, a righteous life. And it's not justifying our sin. We have done a butcher job in scripture in today's culture saying, well, that really doesn't mean that today. And it doesn't really. Listen, that's why I say these words are the only words that matter. These words are the same today as they were yesterday. Jesus said everything else is going to pass away. My word will remain and we can't take the stuff out that we don't like. We can't take the stuff out that we just put the stuff we do like. It's all or none, y'all. It's Old Testament, New Testament. It's all or none. We can't pull this apart. We can't justify our sin. I can take any verse and justify anything I want. That's reading it out of context. Instead, instead of justifying sin, we need to be running from it. As soon as we recognize it in life, we need to just get on and say, no, I ain't going that way. Listen, temptation is not sin. Acting on it. You are going to face temptations. I'm going to face temptations every single day to take a shortcut, to do it my way, to do it some other way. And you and I can choose every single day by the power of the Holy Spirit. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me to say, no, not today. We need to draw a line in the sand and say, not, not any more steps. Not today. We, we, we need to understand that we were a slave to sin. And in all actuality, when you accept Christ, you become a slave to Jesus. He says you were bought with a price. He owns us. He redeemed us. 
I know that's not a very like happy term, but man, it is it is a slavery that means more freedom than ever when I try to do it my own self. In fact, that's what Romans, Paul says in Romans. He says, but thank God that although you used to be the slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching to which you were, were handed over. And having been set free from your sin, you have been enslaved to righteousness. Our faith is an all or none thing. I believe that more and more. That it can't be something where I just compartmentalize, okay, Jesus, you're here, that here. It's all or it's none. I, I grew up playing like high school sports like football, and I had that crazy sadistic football coach, you know, that would sit there and just go, I need 110% from you, Heavener, 110%. I was sarcastic and a smart mouth, and I said, well, that's mathematically impossible, coach. <laughs> I only have 100 to give to you. And then I would run until I threw up because <laughs> he would just dog me. I believe all my heart, God is not some like sadistic football coach or athletic coach or something or some boss that says, I need 110%. He says, all I need is 100%. But I'm believing more and more he won't accept anything less. When it's anything less than all, we are miserable. When there is an error in our life that we have not turned over to God, man, it just, it prods and it picks at us and it goes... We're miserable. It is, it is an all or none. We are called to live righteously. That's all of it. That's all of us that we do. And so, yeah, we need to pray insistently. We need to live righteously. And there's one last thing <coughs> that Paul talks about here in, 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 in 2 Timothy. He says, we need to evangelize fervently. We need to evangelize fervently. I, 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 I love this. You want to know God's will? I've told you this before. It's, it's very, very simple. God's will is for you to know him and to make him known. If, if you were looking for, like, what is God's will for my life? What should I be doing? I mean, he'll help guide you. You can look at scripture and say, what college? Who should I marry? And all stuff. There are standards. You can do that. But he's not really going to come down and, like, put a name in your head and say, here's this, this person. Here's this job. Here's that. Because God's will for us is to know him and to make him known. And I can do that at Universal Studios. I can do that at this church. I can do that picking up garbage. That is God's will for us. We are called to know him and to make him known. And it's the role of everyone, by the way. I don't know if you guys ever heard of a guy named Leighton Ford. Leighton Ford worked with Billy Graham. He was another evangelist, and he would go on crusades with Billy Graham all the time. And Leighton Ford tells a story that one time they were setting up for a big crusade. And Leighton came up, and he spoke first, and Billy wasn't supposed to speak till the next day. And Billy Graham, he would do this. He would, like, show up and put, like, sunglasses on and come in incognito and sit in, like, the first session. And so Leighton was preaching, and, and Billy notices a man that's just, man, God is just moving on his heart, and he sees that. And Billy Graham, being who he is, he just can't sit there. So he goes up to the man and says, hey, do you want to go forward and meet Christ during the invitation? I mean, I'll go with you if you want somebody to go through. And the man looks at him and says, man, that's okay. I'm going to wait for the big gun <laughs> tomorrow night. I'll wait till Billy shows up tomorrow night. I'm waiting for the big gun. And I feel like so many of us in the church are sitting there going like, I can't evangelize. I shouldn't evangelize. Let the big gun do it. Let the pastor do it. Let the evangelist do it. Let this person do it. Show me. 
where it says that. Because I think when Jesus left this planet, he looked at all of us and says, go into all the world and make disciples. That wasn't just to the disciples. That wasn't just like, hey, Peter, you disciple John, Andrew, you got this guy, you guys just stick together and stuff. That was all of us. The Great Commission is our commission, our commandment, that we are called to go out and do that. It is all of our jobs. Church, you are the big gun. <laughs> Listen, they expect me to tell them about Jesus because I have that title, Pastor, on my name. They are blown away when you do it. It's one of the worst things we did in, in the clergy and everything is make us professionals and pay us salaries and all that stuff. I'm, I still need money, so don't, don't, don't change the budget. But, <laughs> but they made us professional clergy. It is all of our job. It is all of our calling. It is all our command to evangelize, to tell the story. I mean, that's, that's why in Peter, he says, but in your hearts regard Christ, at the Lord, regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. You want to talk about living righteously, living in God's life? When's the last time someone came up and says, what's different about you? If it's been a while, y'all need to get out of the church <laughs> a little bit. By the way, it's not our job to evangelize each other in the church. It's our job to go <laughs> into the world. One of the things I love about working at Universal Studios is here I'm Pastor Tony. There I'm Tony the pastor. It's a huge difference. That is my mission field right now. I get to stand before every security officer coming in now and explain. I tell them, I'm a pastor. We do like an interesting introduction in a pack. I'm like, I, I, I've done two things. I've soldiered and I'm a pastor. I'm doing them both now. Here in security, I'm kind of soldiering. And I'm still a pastor. I have no problem. I love it. I get to have discussions all the time while well, that because, because it's not about being a big gun. It's about all of us going and doing it. We have to be ready to answer. This is why I always bug you and say, are you reading your scripture? Are you showing up to Bible studies? Are you going to home groups? Are you doing this? Are you growing in your faith so that you can give an answer? Because if you are truly living what God, the life God has called you, if you are living in freedom like we're discussing, that true freedom that Christ brings, people are going to look at you and say, how are you doing that? And what a great day that is. I love it on a weekly basis. Somebody asked me, so why do you keep pastoring? Oh, let me tell you about my Jesus and what he's done for me. I mean, it, it is amazing. <laughs> we, we evangelize fervently. We go and we tell the story. There will be those that reject it. I promise you, there'll be people that'll say, not for me. I've had it. Why would you get offended if someone rejects Jesus? <laughs> are they rejecting you? Or are they rejecting him? 
I hear so many people like, I can't, I can't go and share the gospel. I can't do that. I can't do it because what if I get rejected? I'm like, you're not getting rejected. They're rejecting Jesus. All you've got to do is tell the story. I'm going to say that till the day I'm dying, until someone like fires me and never let me. Even not, if I'm not in a church somewhere, I'm going to stand on a corner. Just tell your story. Let God do the rest. Because that's it. That's all you got to do. All you got to say, this is what Christ has done for me. This is what God is doing. This is how I was. This is how I am now. Isn't that awesome? And let God do the rest. It's not up to you to save anybody. There's no pressure here, y'all. There's not a quota up in heaven. Some angel sitting there going, uh, uh, Josh, check two. Patty, tick three. Mike, you got to catch up. <laughs> no one's keeping score. It's just about being obedient and being disobedient. That's all it is. We tell the story and we let God do the rest. And so, yes, we pray. Listen, if you're not praying for the leadership in our country, if you're not praying for your neighbors, if you're not praying for me, if you're not praying for this church, if you're not praying, then you have no right at all to complain about it whatsoever. If you're not living your life the way God lives, then you can't complain about other people not living the life the way God has called them to live. And if you're not telling people about gospel, stop worrying about people that don't know Jesus not acting like Jesus. They don't know him. So don't complain about them unless you're willing to share and invest in their lives and see God change their lives. Stop doing that. I love it. Mike Huckabee, who ran for president years and years ago, I love that he said this. He says, let us remember as people of faith that our primary mission is not to have a political ideology. It is to change the world so that every man, woman, boy, and girl can experience true freedom. Where does true freedom come? Jesus. Jesus only. So you know what? Stop complaining and do something. Stop complaining about our country. Stop complaining about the world. Stop complaining about our community. Stop complaining about everything that's going on, all the things that are wrong, and then do something about it. Get involved. Pray for the people. Pray for everyone that's running for office, because I'm going to tell you something. In the end, it's God who decides. Whatever political party or whatever it is, it is God who decides it's there. You pray your conviction, you vote your convictions, you do that, and you serve your obligation as a citizen for the freedom that's given you. Because I'm going to tell you, there are people around the world that would love the chance to vote for some of their leaders. They would love the opportunity to go to a poll and actually vote and actually be counted. So you vote, and then you pray, and you trust God for the outcome, because it really doesn't matter who's in that office, because it doesn't matter who sits in that office, because my God sits on a throne over that office. Amen. Stop complaining. Get involved. Pray for him. Live a life that reflects where people are going to ask, I mean, how do you deal with the tragedy? How do you deal with all this hard stuff? Live a life that reflects God, where you say, every day I wake up, God, no matter what I do today, may you get the glory and not me. May it point people to you. May people ask questions of me and then be ready to answer those questions. The only thing that's going to change our world to change the culture is the gospel. Not a political party. Not a new idea, not a new program. It is the gospel. So 
so stop complaining and do something about it. Then freedom will ring out throughout the land.